Shut up and sit down. My thought here, too, um, on Westbrook is maybe that at that point we'll dissect, uh, you know, the triple-double category that seems to be scrutinized at the moment, which I uh, can take a strong stance against. People should not be scrutinizing it, but I'm sure we kind of agree on that. What do you mean by scrutinizing it? Like, uh, like I feel like the triple-double is becoming the NBA's version of, it was just home runs and RBIs, where it's like, yeah, like, yes, they're not hollow statistics, though. Like, the game-changing, um, and, and, and again, like... right. We know a lot about the game and different ways to assess value, but it does not <coughs> the statistical categories of a triple double and the effort in his case, in his case, you know, all of his other peripherals and his you know, advanced stats do line up as well. He's his usage rate is through the fucking roof and uh, his PR is pretty high, too. Is that like a 41.7 usage rate? That's the highest, I think. And so uh, we should crazy. probably we should probably officially start this thing. Maybe I'll do a yeah, cold so. open. <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, that's fine. We're, we're already rolling pretty well. I mean, maybe I'll see yeah, it opened. Like, uh, he, the disparity between usage rate and PER is something I'm always fascinated by. And his is unbelievable for well, someone who has a 30.27 PER. It goes into it, the, and it as well. Like, it goes in. There's a, there's a usage component built into PER. But someone yeah. was, uh, I forget, I think Tom was saying this in our chat room, uh, Tom Ziller, in our chat room the other other day, maybe our editor's room, he was saying that this year I think has like seven of the top fifty highest usage rates of all time have come this year, something wow. like that. Because you have you what? have Harden, you have Cousins, you have Davis, you have Isaiah <laughs> Thomas, um, Joel Embiid. Yeah, oh jo- Joel Embiid. Yeah, fourth, absolutely. NBA, I am on the bandwagon. Thank you. Oh, how can I mean, you I'm not be at this point? Bandwagon. Yeah, yeah. At this point, how could you not be though? I mean, yeah. assuming you can stay healthy. Uh yeah, so so something like seven of the highest fifty usage rates. Yeah, which I think is yeah, like Lil- pretty amazing stat. I don't know if Lillard was in there too. He is. Uh, yeah, Lillard and James are both in the top ten. Oh, LeBron. Well, no, not LeBron. LeBron's is down this year, but yeah, it is down. But it's tenth. Uh, uh, right. Isaiah Thomas and John Wall are in there as well. Right, but I'm saying like seven of the top fifty of all time are this year. Oh wow, wow, that's crazy. That's kind of nuts. All time or this year or something like that. Maybe like five of the top forty-five. I don't remember the exact, but it, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, but yeah. Anyway, hi yeah. everyone. Welcome to the Limited Upside Podcast. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, that's good. Cold open. Keep going with it. All right. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, this is the Limited Upside Podcast. Uh, I'm Mike Prada. Uh, the bozo talking on the other side of the mic is Ben Epstein, and Hello. we have a special guest with us this week. Uh, the newest member of the SP Nation NBA team, uh, Christian Winfield. What's going on? Hey, what's going on, guys? I was hoping to hear some like cute applause in the background somewhere, but it's all right. We'll add that in later. Yeah, maybe post-production. <laughs> we, we don't quite have the fancy fancy stuff that some other podcasts have, but I'll see. Maybe no, we'll add no, a post-production. No, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited to come on here and talk some hoops. Awesome. Well, welcome to to SB Nation in general. We've been looking forward to this. We've kind of been hyping this podcast for uh, I don't know a couple weeks now, or a couple of days now, I should say. Uh, so we got some good questions that we'll get to. But first and foremost, we should do uh, we should do what, what Christian knows best. Let's let's start from your roots here, um, kind of how we got you here or met you here at SB Nation, right? Are you not a posting and toasting alum? Um, no, not a posting and toasting okay. alum. I was okay. I when I got out of school, I got a gig covering the Knicks with About.com. Uh, okay, um, okay. 
it was pretty cool. And then, yeah, yeah, no, it was pretty cool. Got me access. And then about.com decided to shut their sports section down (laughs) on a whim, which was crazy. So uh, after that, I was writing with Elite Sports New York, which is the same thing. Um, Still covering the Knicks, same access. And then I found this job. And uh, one thing led to another. And now I'm on the podcast. So. So the Knicks, Happy the Knicks, yeah, the Knicks, and and a good background here from a a number of sites. Sorry about posting toasting reference there, Mike. I got that wrong. No, you can I mean, do what you do what you feel like. You have that. a byline there. You <laughs> I do like have a byline things. there. I do you have post a byline. like two things there. Dang, that's what yeah, I saw, and that's I wrote, what misled uh, me. I had a, a piece on the game that I was at not too long ago, where Derrick Rose kind of just went nuts. He had 18 points, but it was like yeah. every bucket was like either an up and under or a floater or put a move on someone. It was actually ridiculous. That 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 is like the perfect encapsulation of Derrick Rose. Like, yeah, he had all these really cool looking shots and he scored 18 points. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, like I mean, Derrick Rose in a nutshell. Him, <laughs> <laughs> when, when it comes to Rose, I mean, from what I've seen, it's more so, can he stay healthy? Is his next floater going to be his last? You know, and I feel like he's still trying to figure out how far he can push himself. And I think he's starting to realize that, hey, there might the injury bug might be a thing of the past. You know, I don't want to jinx it because I want to see the Knicks go as far as they can. Um, I think we're seeing Derrick Rose progress through the phases of, of paranoia as it goes, as it, as it pertains to his knee, his knees. Uh, excuse me. And um, yeah, I think I think you know he had thirty nuts. He had thirty on Russell Westbrook actually, and um, I think we're going to see him be a little bit more aggressive now. I mean, he, his aggression is good. I, I like the way he's been playing. I, I will say, and Prada, you've always been uh, less positive, I suppose, in, in the case of Derrick Rose, if that's a light, light nah. way to put it. Um, so well, you can I mean, he would, tell me what you see. T- once upon a time, he was great. Um, yeah, but, sure, yeah sure. since the injuries. Uh, he's better than last year. I mean, that's, I think, obvious. It is interesting that there has not been one real health scare on his knee other than, you know, he started last year with that, like, orbital fracture. And it's been a while now, and he's kind of been playing, and there hasn't been a recurring injury. And the the thing that is a problem now is just that he his sort of has these blinders on when he drives. So what? I, but I did think it was an interesting stat I saw the other day, which is he's I think shooting about forty something percent of his shots at the basket, which is one of the highest marks of his career, and much higher than it was last year. And as we all know, he doesn't really have much of a jumper. Uh, so the fact that he's getting to the basket, at least, even if he's kind of not really drawing fouls and only finishing at a so-so rate, I mean, that's good, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I saw a stat not too long ago where he was either at the top or near the top of the league in points off of drives a game. It was something like 8.1 or 8.3 points off of drives a game. That might have changed between when I looked at it and now. But, um, yeah, just seeing how easily he's getting into the paint. You know, he's doing it whenever he wants to, it seems like. And, uh that's kind of what we remember about the the MVP Derrick Rose. You know, we don't want to want to you know try to compare him to 2011, 2012 when he won that award. But you know, I I think that we're seeing shades of the old healthy Derrick Rose, and um, you know, it's going to be really fun to see how far he can help push this Knicks team because they're going to need him as much as you know they're going to need Melo and Porzingis to step up. So we bring up Porzingis finally. I'm sorry I took so long, guys. That's on me. Um, That's your obviously fault. We should, wait, wait, wait. We you're the host off. of the podcast? And we should have started off with Porzingis. But, uh, <laughs> so you're, you're the host and it's <laughs> your fault. Okay. All right. These Technically, are I did the intro today. Of course. Wouldn't that I make feel me, like it's, me the host? I think you're the host <laughs> We co-host this thing. Um, we've had some interesting Ooh. like discussions. Uh, we've had a, a couple questions here. We got one from uh, Ranger Rags. Thanks again for all your questions here, guys. We always appreciate them. Keep sending them. Uh, about the starting lineup, so uh, our, our uh, friend of the pod here sends out 
Rose Lee, Holiday, Mello, and and Kristaps at center. Noah first big off the bench. Is that something worth looking at? Is that is that something that you uh, would look at yourself? Um, me personally, no, because yeah. after Justin Holiday off the bench, there's literally nothing uh, when <laughs> it comes to the backcourt. You know, you have Brandon Jennings coming up. You have Justin Holiday. After that, you've got you've got Kuzminskis. You know, he's up and down. You know, he can sometimes hit a three. You know, he's he's proven to be a lot better than I thought he would be. But Justin Holiday is that guy off the bench. I want to see Lance Thomas come back. Um, he's dealing with some serious plantar fascia and he's got some, you know, he came into the season hurt. So I'm glad he's like taking some time right now. You know, Knicks fans are giving him really like they're giving him a hard time, but he's a really good guy. Um, he works hard. His, I know he can shoot the ball. He plays defense. He plays with a lot of effort. Um, you know, I think those two coming off the bench, Lance Thomas and Justin Holiday, just because of the way they defend can be really, really good. And they can both shoot the three. Well, when Lance Thomas comes back and he, you know, he's fully healthy. He, he shot 40% last year. Um, but no, nah, I mean, I think that's a good lineup to to put in the game at certain points. Of course, having Melo at the four and KP at the five, but Justin Holiday starting full time, it, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt what comes off the bench in the long run. There, there's a subtext to that question, and that is a joke Noah stinks at this stage of his career. <laughs> like, he just, um, it, it's really sad to watch. Like, $72 million for four years, and he, I don't know, to me, he can't. Occasionally, you'll have these moments where you see like some energy of the Joakim of old, but most of the time, he can't really jump anymore, can't really finish anymore. Nobody guards him. Their defense is really bad. You know, the subtext is that the guy they paid all this money to to play center just can't do it anymore, and that that is to me like the worst part of what the next season is. And so the question I think is essentially asking like, are they just better off playing Chris Tapps at the five? And I don't know the answer to that question, but to me, both Kyle O'Quinn and Willie Heller and Gomez have been played better than Joakim Noah. And that is not a good thing for the Knicks. It's not a good thing. And the, the only thing that you, you didn't, that you left out was that, you know, not only has he been lacking and not playing well, but he's also missed a couple games. You know, he's, it's he's good news a, for the Knicks. They play games. well when he's not playing. It, <laughs> it is, but when you're paying a guy seventy-two million, what if I stop coming to work? You know what I'm saying? And it's like, oh, but we're, 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 we're operating better without you. You know, like no, it's not, it's not okay. So you know, I um, I, I'd like to see him healthy. I'd like to see him a hundred percent. I know he has a couple knickknack injuries here and there. He's under the weather. You know, it's a, it's a lot of different things. Like you know, and I get it. You know, he's thirty-two. He's played in the league for a while, but you know, at a certain point, it's going to be: Are we better off without him? Do we need to move him? I don't think. The Knicks need to trade him just yet. I wouldn't jump to that type of conclusion. But, you know, if, if they're starting to really – if this thing isn't just like a fad, if it's really like we're playing better without Joakim, then why not flip him and get some other backcourt pieces, you know, put some, put a package together. Who, who wants Joakim Noah? Yeah, what's, <laughs> like, yeah, what's his value? Dibs, send him to Thibs. Send him to Minnesota. What is Minnesota? For Thibs. I don't think so. Not with that contract. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're, they're contract rooting for like, the amnesty clause, I think. Yeah. It's yeah. A contract, yeah. But it's also like, who wants that type of basketball player right now? If, it, oh, if it's not goodness. working for the Knicks, it's not going to work anywhere, especially given the, the weaknesses they have. What they need would be some defense and some passing, uh, I would say, would, <laughs> you know, are things that he's supposed to do. Yeah, that's true. I mean, aren't your Sixers always looking to take a contract off someone's yeah. hands? If he played any other position but a big man, <laughs> but a front court, probably. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. That's true. 
Yeah, also like the Knicks one... don't have like six draft picks to throw in to make That's it worth true. the six as well. Yeah, don't. this is this is really bad for them. This is this yeah. is bad. That If you can't make a trade with the Sixers. I mean... Yeah, this is bad because if this was like year three of four, like, okay, he has three more years left on that contract. Yeah, no, it's no good. You know, I think that I really liked Robin Lopez while he was here, and he's still he's still bowling out even over in Chicago. I hated that the Knicks had to move him to get Derrick Rose. I understand why, you know, money, and it just had to happen. But I thought Robin Lopez, if, if it would have been Robin Lopez here and not Joakim, this would have been, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this is a bad team by any stretch, but this would have been a really good team with Robin Lopez because he does a lot of the same things yeah. Joakim Noah does, you know, and he's yep. reliable. So... He's actually good. Really <laughs> he's actually good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's really he's really he's underrated if you ask me. You know, he does a lot of the things that people don't see. He can score, he can he can operate in the low post, he can shoot a little 15 foot jump. He's through. awkward too. He's on un- makes he other teams awkward. uncomfortable. Those both yeah, the Lopez yeah, yeah. brothers are just so awkwardly big. Um Yeah. So, I don't know. I think it, it'll it'll be interesting to see how the Joe Noah thing plays out, you know. Ah. Uh, I can't say what I don't know if they're going to trade him. I think that they're going to give it some time to see how it works out. Will he come off the bench? Maybe. Will Kyle Quinn start over him? I don't know. I don't know if you start Kyle Quinn over your seventy-two million dollar guy. But um, I mean, I guess we'll see. You know, time will tell. If he can't stay healthy, then that's another thing. But if he's just yeah. thinking it up, then. Well, having the ability, the ability to play Chris Stops at center is nice. It is a good luxury to be able to say, like, okay, if we can't play one of these other guys at center, it's just not working out. We'll use the seven foot two guy on our team to play center. It really is. It is, and I'd like for the Knicks to start running more double screens with Rose and and Porzingis and Mello at the same time. And if you've got those two at the five and the four, and you've got shooters on the sides, then it's just like yeah. it's kind of like what they what they have in Houston. Well, it could be like what they have in Houston, where it's like you have to guard everyone, but. I, I I don't know. I I think KP at the five is a good thing later on down the line, but I don't think he's ready right now to play the center full time and get. Imagine him having to deal with Boogie on a nightly basis, or Al. I feel like right. Al Horford would tear him up. You know, like things like that. Sure. Some of those bigger guys, Mark Gasol would would take his food. Gasol's so, ridiculous. Like, he's so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he wins every gonna, center matchup. Yeah, yeah. At the same time, you're not going to run into a Mark Gasol every night because we're in the right. East. You know, but. Man, you yeah, pray to. He needs some time. Pray, did you remember when the pipe dream? Um, when we had Seth on here and Christian, Seth Rosenthal completely agrees. He loved Lopez, loved him, oh. loved him. I think he loved Josh him more than anyone else loves a basketball <laughs> player in the world. Other than other than Porzingis, we we have to always yeah, also right. note that Seth loves loves Porzingis, um, mm-hmm. as all Knicks fans do. Um, but yeah, but we we were we were kind of debating before uh, before the podcast though uh, about like are the Knicks where we thought they they'd be. Um, or are they better? Uh, are they exceeding expectations? They are. They are five hundred nine and nine. Um, and you guys had slightly different different answers. Christian, where, where do you think they are uh, compared to where you thought they'd be when the season kicked off? Um, you know, a month and a half ago. You know, well, ago, pre- in, before the season started, you know, when when the Knicks got all their pieces, I'm like, all right, this is a forty five to forty seven win team, eighth, seventh, maybe sixth seed in the in the East. I didn't see them really getting into that top four. You know, because you've got all these new guys, you've got 10 new players, you've got a new head coach who's still trying to figure out if he wants to run the triangle or if he wants to run his offense in Phoenix. I'm glad they're not running any of that triangle. It doesn't seem like they're running much of it, no. except for out of timeouts, uh, which is a great thing. Um, but I think for what they had to go through in the preseason, which was when you think about it, Rose had to deal with that trial and he comes back. He didn't really play. He played one preseason game. He comes back to 
The ship kind of looks like it's sinking a little bit because guys don't really have that chemistry together. And then they string together a couple nice wins, you know. I think that in terms of their record right now, they're 500. I thought they'd be a little bit—I didn't think they'd be 500 until around the 30-game mark. I think it would, I thought it would take them a little bit longer to get that cohesion together. And I still think they have things they need to work on. But the way they've played so far, it's it's it, it gives me a little bit of optimism. You know, they got you're seeing guys play off of each other, you're seeing guys be unselfish. Like you saw Carmelo only take what thirteen shots not yesterday or whenever they played yeah. the team. He was four yeah. for thirteen. Of course, he was he was yeah. missing. But but it was deliberate. You're right. Was, he started off yeah, only he was, taking a few was, shots in the first half. Yeah, he was deferring to his teammates. That's something that you you don't know Carmelo for deferring. You know, like you know Carmelo for getting his shot and getting to his spots. Is so, that the best Knicks team? Is that the best version of this Knicks team when he lets or or promotes? I should say with his skill set that he promotes Kristaps being the guy who takes the bulk of the shots. You know. That's a good question. I don't know what the best version of this Knicks team is just yet. I know the best. I think the best version of this Knicks team is when everyone is going to be in double digits, where it's Porzingis getting 20, Melo getting 20, Rose getting 15, 17, and, and Courtney Lee getting 12 or 13 off open threes. Um, I think that type of Knicks team is the one. And then Carmelo closing the game out down late. I think that's the type of Knicks team that we need to see. Um, but to, to get back to your original question on sure. where, where I thought this team was, um, I think that they have somewhat exceeded expectations just because they're 500 and they have 10 new players and they have a new head coach and they're still trying to piece together what kind of offense they have. Um, and I think that they're going to get better, actually. You know, if you look at Brandon Jennings coming off the bench, he's he's getting a lot of assists, but he doesn't necessarily know where to get his shots. You could see him dribble up the court and and shoot an erratic three-pointer that, that's you know, Brandon uh, Jennings though he gets his it shots is, it, is. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is but um and and also Lance Thomas hasn't really played well I think that's another you know I, I really like Lance Thomas I was really high on him I thought yeah. he deserved that contract they gave him and I think he's gonna remind people why they gave him that contract when he gets healthy so I think this team is it's I, I'd like to say they're underperforming you know I think they, they I think they're they've exceeded expectations but that they can play better than they are right now um, and I think that we're going to see that sometime soon. It's just, what is Joakim Noah going to do? How is he going to fit back in? And are we going to see a better version of Lance Thomas when he's healthy? Yeah, I, they're about what I thought they'd be. I kind of pegged them for about 500-ish, maybe a little worse. Uh, but oh, man. Like, like I had them, like I know, Ben, you had them even lower than that. And I think we had like a Chicago-New York discussion. I thought the Knicks would be yeah. in Chicago. Right now, I thought Chicago does not better. look like... Like that'll happen, but um, they're at this level in a way that's a little different than I thought they would be. Um, I thought they would be a better defensive team. Right now, they're near the bottom of the league. I thought Noah mm-hmm. for would at least be good on that end, and he has not been. I thought they might they might be able to be better there, and offensively, I thought they'd be worse than they are right now. I thought we would see a little too much triangle. We would see this sort of what the heck is their style confusion. And actually what I think of starting to happen and in some ways Noah's injury and problems are a bit of a blessing in disguise here because I think it's forced them to play a little bit differently. And that is they are actually using Porzingis as more of an offensive hub. And, you know, you put it in terms of touches, Ben, like how are shots? How many shots does Porzingis get to me? It's less about uh, how many shots Porzingis gets and how then how involved he is. Is he running a lot of pick I agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. running a lot more of those. Is he? Are they using his presence and his shooting to open up opportunities for other people? I think we talked about Derrick Rose earlier in this program. One of the reasons Rose is getting to the basket more, I don't think has much to do with him. I think it's just 
that there's more people worried about Porzingis when they run a pick and pop. And we didn't see a lot of, as mm-hmm. much of that last year. And so that, if I'm a Knicks fan, that is encouraging, I think. That we're yeah. starting to yeah. see. And what's a little more, what's discouraging in addition to Noah is that I do think Melo is showing signs of slowing down. And there are times, like the Timberwolves game, where he realizes mm-hmm. that. And then there are times, like the end of the Hornets game the other day, where Porzingis is wide open on the baseline and Melo shoots a shot anyway. So yep. it it sort of it, it doesn't quite work there, but what I do think, if you're looking long term, how, however they do this year, whether they make the playoffs, whether they finish with 38 wins, the team is slowly tilting more, barring Phil Jackson trying to take back control and saying no, you got to run the triangle. The team is starting <laughs> to tilt more towards Porzingis, if not the shot centerpiece, is the offensive centerpiece. He's not just staying in the corner as much. That I think is encouraging. Feels like that's the yeah. right play, though. I mean, if you're trying to build for both potentially the now and for the future of the franchise, no, Christian. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. You know, we have yeah. to mold Porzingis. And when they brought on these guys in the summer, you know, when they brought Derrick Rose and they brought Joe Kim and they brought Courtney Lee, my first thought was, all right, what does that mean for Porzingis? You know, how is he going to fit in when you bring all these veteran guys in? Rose is going to want his shots. Melo's going to want his shots. Joakim Noah operates best when he has the ball in his hands, playmaking for others. You know, like, where is KP in that entire discussion? But now we're kind of seeing, I don't want to say an evolution, but we're seeing his game. You know, you could see him taking people off the dribble. You're seeing him, you know, run the floor and finish alley-oops. I think I saw him spun off a, spin off of somebody in mm-hmm. the other game and catch an alley-oop with one hand. You know, we're seeing him find different ways to be effective on the floor. You know, I still think he needs to figure out how to get out of foul trouble, how to stay out of foul trouble, because that's that's really one area that he's really, really weak in. You know, he'll get two fouls, three fouls in the first quarter, and then what now? You can't play until the end of the third. So I think that's an area he has to improve in. But as you said, you know, KP is the future, you know, and there's no denying that just like Carl Anthony Towns is the future. And well, they have a, a group of guys that's the, that are the future of Minnesota, but yeah. <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns is really the, the standout guy over there, in my opinion. Well, we'll um, get to that game last night. We're recording yeah. this on, uh, it's a Thursday night. <laughs> yeah. But you're talking about KP and I feel like this is all happening sort of in spite of what's around him. You know, the, if they really were to build a team around Porzingis, I think you could co- sort of make it as a, a kind of a point guard resurrection factory, which is why I guess the Rose thing sort of works, even if it sometimes doesn't. You know, kind of like how Dallas has kind of reformed all these point guards around Dirk. But otherwise, I don't know if the rest of the roster with the key players makes sense. What I think is interesting is that mm-hmm. they are Definitely not. they are playing – more of guys like Hernan Gomez and O'Quinn and even Kuzminskis at times and Holiday, who I, I think we're both pretty high on as players, both mm-hmm. as, as a player. It's like it's almost like they, they are reluctantly realizing that this is the guy. And it's only it just has to in the small picture, they're making it work where he's the guy. And I think Hornacek is a little smarter than than some of the other people and just doing that in spite of whether the other people on the team in the big picture, though. 40, 72 million to Noah, a big question looming on Rose's future. Melo's declining. That's a problem. But so, right. but in spite of all that, I mean, Porzingis is rising. It says a lot about Porzingis, I think. And that's where, you know, if, it's sort of back to where you were at the beginning if you're a Knicks fan. It's like, okay, what is the rest of the organization doing? But that's our shining light. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, the future is an interesting question in, in general. We, uh, we actually got a good question uh, from at N.O. Carter. 
It's Carter with a K. Uh, he said, with his unspectacular yet improved season, like kind of exactly what we've been talking about, um, and slightly more spectacular, I'd say, than maybe this gives him credit for, um, should the Knicks re-sign Rose? Is he part of the future? Um, we talked about kind of how he, where you may foresee his game working well, opening the lane up, uh, the way potentially down the road he could potentially play off of a the high uh, the double screen with Porzingis. Is Rose someone who you do want to have in the long-term picture, given what you've seen? Are you, are you willing to invest in a Derrick Rose? I am willing to invest in Derrick Rose for as long as I'm willing to invest in Carmelo Anthony. Okay. You know, for me, it's like Rose and, and a lot of it hinges on his health. You know, it's still a question. It's only been what, how many games have they played? 18, it's only been 18 games. Things can go wrong. And God forbid you sign him to a, a max contract, quote unquote, and then he goes and, and tears an ACL. You know, I don't want to speak these things into existence, but they happen. Right. You know, but um, I think the the way he's played is kind of forcing the Knicks, this kind of forcing Jackson's hand, you know, because you look at the, you look at how many point guards are on the market next year. Uh, Chris Paul is probably going to resign in, in LA. It'd be crazy to leave there to come to, to New York and play with Melo and Porzingis. I, I don't foresee him leaving there. And, Anybody else, I feel like, is going to get money from where their their teams are now. And if you leave, if you let Rose leave, someone else is going to get to scoop him up from the way he's played. Um, I think that the Knicks, I think I think Rose is playing his way into. I don't want to say max money into at least near max money. I think the Knicks are going to have to pay that. Um, and I think that they should align his contract with Carmelo's. And. You know, I, I don't see him as a long-term option at the point guard. I don't see him as the guy who's going to grow with Chris Stapps Porzingis because obviously they're different ages. Um, but I think that <clears throat> as long as Jackson is invested in this current Knicks project, which is built around Carmelo and KP together, having Derrick Rose there and not having to bring a new guard in and teach them the, the offense again and <clears throat> have that... Yeah. That chemistry going around again. I think that resigning Rose is the, is a good idea, so long as he proves he can stay healthy. Rose is only twenty eight years old. He's, he's not like yeah, yeah. But I agree. I agree. So I, I disagree. Mike, what do you think? I, yeah, I don't okay. think they should resign Derek Rose. I think the whole Uh-oh. first of all, I think price wise, it's going to be a lot of money. Second of all, there are some interesting point guards in the market next year. Uh, once you go down from Curry. Third of all. The whole point of like having a guy like Porzingis is that he's sort of if he achieves his potential, he's like the point guard enhancer, you know. Because right. whenever they run pick and roll, he they will stay with him, and the point guard will get a free lane to the basket. Like that's a position that you are have the luxury of not spending a lot of money on, and so I wouldn't go out and spend a lot of money on Derrick Rose there. I mean, you can you can plug in a lot of players and they'll be enhanced by playing with Derek, by playing with Porzingis, I think. And that's sort of what Dallas has done for a lot, a lot of years. And I think that is allowed, you know, if managed correctly, you can spend money elsewhere. I mean, with Carmelo, he, he has a no trade clause. Like you're, what he does, you have no control over like how long he stays on the team. He could decide the next day, like I want to get traded. And then you would trade him. I mean, or you could say like, you know what? It doesn't matter how good or bad we are. Like, I just want to stay like to me. The smart thing to do would not be to consider him his status at all and build around Porzingis. And to me, I would look, I would say, like, we don't need to spend, either we get a great point guard or why not spend less money on someone that's not Derrick Rose that, okay, he doesn't have Derrick Rose's, you know, reputation, but Porzingis can help prop him up. 
And I don't right. know exactly who that'd be. I mean, but uh, and I don't know, like maybe if Jeff T keeps playing poorly in Indiana, like maybe that's someone you go after. I, I don't have names. Maybe there are others, but like that's sort of the advantage of having someone like a Porzingis. Right. Like you don't have right. to spend money. And that's sort of I think what a lot of people didn't like about this Rose trade is not that Rose would play like this and play decently. It's that okay, what if he does play like this and there are signs of good stuff happening? What do you do next summer? It's sort of like you're just kicking the can down the road. Okay, mm. those are two of a good, a strong opposing thoughts. I, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure where I fall on Rose yet. I've, I've watched, uh, I've watched a bunch of Knicks games. Hell, I live here in New York. You got to moderate this. You're, you're the, the Nets are not moderator. worth watching. I'm trying to figure out where I stand. <laughs> I think Prado is pretty convincing there. Although I need to see some better names other than Jeff Teague. <clears throat> Jeff Teague makes me feel like signed Derek Rose. I think they'll probably get well, similar. No, no, no. My, my point is, my point is not that Jeff Teague is like. Yeah. In a vacuum, the best option. Yes, I get you. It's more that if he, if price wise, maybe he's not as expensive. I don't know. Like, there's some, you know, Drew Holiday is a free agent. I know we're both big fans of oh, his. I, um, I feel like I feel like you're gonna better. have to pay Drew Holiday. You're right. Have to pay Drew Holiday. Derek Rose. I'm looking at all the free agents right now. You got like Steph Curry, Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry. Those are max guys. Drew Holiday is probably gonna get a decent deal from New Orleans. Um, then you got Derrick Rose, you got Rondo, you got Jeff Teague, Sean Livingston. The list kind of waters down after a little while, you know. I mean, if you want to go with Jeff Teague, it's deeper than last year. Last year there was like nobody. Yeah, you got George Hill, Michael Carter Williams, Darren Williams, Brandon Jennings, Trey Burke, Patty Mills. I'm not sold on any of those guys as opposed to paying Derrick Rose, you know, the money that someone else is going to pay him, and the Knicks will probably end up paying somebody else. George Hill would be a. Yeah, fine. A fine point guard for I the Knicks. I do not think he is going anywhere, though. Yeah, <laughs> no, he's, yeah, he's, he's playing a, pretty well in uh in in Utah. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well, the Knicks had a game last night. Again, this is Thursday, so that was that was Wednesday night. They played uh they played the Timberwolves, and it was a heck of a game. We kind of mentioned Carl Anthony Towns. Let's get more into into that kind of the game last night, and then we'll transition ourselves nicely into uh the disappointing team. We can I think we could all agree on currently. Uh, we could all say that they are under what we anticipated them being at, but maybe there's some opposing opinions there. I know Mike uh, kind of had told me that I was a little too high preseason when I had them as one of my overpicks. Um, so we can talk about the the Timberwolves. But last night's game was awesome. Uh, the Knicks got up big. They almost blew it. Carl Anthony Towns had some historic stat line. It was like 47 and 18 and on 22 shots yeah, or something like that. that. absurd. Which is yeah, crazy. Yeah, completely nuts. He had one of those games that's only happened like under 20 times in NBA history <laughs> type stat line. Seriously, crazy. And they're yeah. all like wilt numbers. Yeah. Um, so crazy stat. The only there are yeah. three players this year who have have a 35-15 or more game. Uh, and they all went to Kentucky in the last <laughs> six years. Anthony Sheesh. Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, uh, and who's the third one? Uh, DeMarcus Cousins, yes. Yeah. All wow, in the last, all in last seven years. All Kentucky. That's nuts. That is insane. It's, I mean, it, it's, it makes sense. They have been getting basically the best big men in the country for the last. I mean, even even the guys who were the backups on their teams have, have had nice NBA careers. Yeah. And, and even if you look, if you look at all of them, you know, aside from Demarcus Cousins on the defensive end, comparing them to the other two, their offensive games are are kind of similar when you look at their outside, oh. inside, inside, outside attack. It's kind of just like. What are they feeding them in Kentucky to where they can <laughs> shoot and, and move around like this? It's kind of it's kind of ridiculous. But I, I, talking I, about what was that? I was Boogie shooting threes now though. Boogie's yeah. also stepping <laughs> it's out. <crazy. laughs> it's all every, every center every center shooting. Th- You're not a good center anymore. Like it used to be. Like we need a guy who could, he's tall. Who the law of verticality? He'll dominate the paint. Now it's like if he can't shoot threes, get him off the court. 
Yeah, get DeAndre Jordan off the court. <laughs> get Marcin oh, Gortat on the phone, stat. <laughs> yeah, so I'm curious oh, why you, what you guys think is going on in Minnesota because Tom sure. Tom Zill had a great piece, an interesting piece today where he basically said, and I think there's a lot to this that they are too they are playing too tight, and Carl Anthony Towns in particular has got a little bit too much of a hero complex where he he has this humongous game. He's 21 years old, and he's talking. He seems so pain that they lost and he's talking about how it's all on him that they lost this game when he did this and it's noble to feel this way and to have this desire but it's also like it's a little much like relax like it's not all or nothing you have to kind of build this step by step and they're trying too hard to because it's weird because they have these great underlying numbers but then they also have these bizarre like third quarters where they can't do anything I don't know I guess last last night it wasn't necessarily the third quarter but they have the worst net rating. They have these stretches where they just fall apart in key moments, and mm-hmm. it's not like they're they're under like most of, for seventy five percent of the game they look pretty good, and then that what that twenty five percent just sinks them. So what what is going on there? What do you guys think? Well, you for me, yeah. I I think that you know Carl Anthony Towns' comments. I kind of like them. I'm more concerned that they're not coming from Andrew Wiggins. You know, so I kind of want to know who exactly is the leader of that team. You know, is it Carl Anthony Towns? Is it Andrew Wiggins? Whose team is that? You know, because for me, I thought Andrew Wiggins was supposed to step out and and have this LeBron type year sometime soon or a Kobe type year, a breakout season. And, um, you know, I'm not watching T-Wolves games every night, so I don't know if he's putting up 27, 28 points on a nightly basis. But I feel like it should be him that's stepping up like, hey, I should have done more. Carl Anthony Towns had 47. What did, what did Wiggins have? 18, 19, 17, something like that? You know, it's. I think it falls on all of their shoulders. Um, you know, obviously Carl is is a monster. You know, he had he, he kind of had like a James Harden stat line. He had like 17 free throws or 17 for 20 from the line, 0 for 3 from 3. You know, normally he's money from 3. I think it's it's ridiculous how quick of a trigger he has from 3 for someone that tall. You know, he can pull up absurd. from... Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, you know, I think that Tibbs needs to relax a little bit. You know, you can kind of hear him yelling at them from the sidelines. Ice, ice, ice. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. But um, I think that I I think that Andrew Wiggins kind of needs to assert himself a little bit more. Um, I could be wrong. You know, I'm not watching enough of those games. I'm not a guy who's at practice all the time and sees what Andrew Wiggins does behind the scenes. He might be the vocal leader. But from what I saw in the game yesterday, everything was going through Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins was on the perimeter a lot shooting threes. So I kind of want to get an understanding of who's in charge when it comes to, you know, the team. You know, is it a we mentality? Is it we're running through Wiggins? Is it we're running through Carl Anthony Towns? Like, what's going on? And Zach Levine is playing ridiculous. He's hitting threes that I, you know, he looks really confident shooting those threes. So these guys should be playing a lot better. Um, Maybe it's due to their weakness at the point guard. We thought Chris Dunn would be better than he's been. Um, Rubio's not having a great year. No. So. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting you mentioned Wiggins. Like, so scoring-wise, he's having a pretty good season. He's cooled off. He had a really hot start. He's cooled off a little bit. The problem is that he doesn't really do much else. You know, he's he's only shooting and scoring. He's not rebounding. He's not really passing. And certainly, he's not the vocal leader. But... I wonder if this cuts both ways because I think what Tom's point was, and he cited a really good, interesting Britt Robson column about this, basically saying that Towns taking it all on him 
is a form of martyrdom a little bit. It sort of separates him from the rest of the group. And I guess the interesting question to think about is, uh, is Towns doing that? Is that the chicken that is pulling the team, making the, causing the team to be too tight? Or is it that Towns sees a vacuum that he needs to fill and it's up to the other players to fill a little bit more of the vacuum? I think that's a tough, tough question to answer. Mm-hmm. I think it's the latter. I think it's the latter, right? I don't, so you don't, I think you don't think it's a martyrdom, a little bit no. of a martyrdom thing? No, no. I think he, his personality uh, at every level has been um, assertive and at the best. I mean, at Kentucky, he was a vocal guy. You could see he, he gets expressive on the court and positive, you know, uh, positive energy for his teammates. He's very emotional with his teammates. I think his teammates, uh, he's a natural type of um, the type of player whose teammates want to be around and like to have as a leader on the court. I just think that's tough at 21 years old to do when you've been winning your whole life and then you start losing. You have to try to f- deal with the same emotions in a much different setting. Yeah. Positive emotional energy is one thing. Negative emotional energy is something else. And you, you learning through that in a public fashion like this, like on television against like the Knicks and showing some emotion afterwards, I don't think is a negative. I think we're making a lot of a young guy learning in front of the world the hardest part for him which is not step back three pointers and and uh at seven foot uh or you know like euro steps from the three-point line um it's it happens to be the emotional side of it and that's just part of the that's part of the game yeah i mean it's not negative you know i, I mean it's, i agree it's, with it martyrdom in, in a sense here i believe does have like a negative connotation that it isn't somehow the, the thing that is the reason they are underachieving right i don't i don't i don't necessarily believe that what i what i I think is I mean, it's part of this is that the expectations that this has got to be solved by 21 are not coming from us, and that's mm. the problem. Or yeah, at least sure. for me, that I agree. Like with. Yeah. there are there are maybe their internal clock is warped, you know, because yeah. I, I I do think that does hiring Tibbs do that? Is maybe that what started the that the could clock be it. Well? I mean, things are really not that bad there. Is kind of my point. I mean, they're you, they're really young. Agree. They're not supposed to. They're not supposed. It's not the when you go forty-seven and eighteen in a game that you lose by two points, you know, look, it it's great to not want to lose, and that's generally a good quality. I, but if you're going like this, it has to be like more of an even keel than there is there. And I I think I think that's sort of I think there's something to that. Now, whether that's like a good or bad quality, or just like a natural quality, or Whatever, like whether I mean, this is even a problem is sort of part of the discussion as well. I, I do, I do sort of wonder a little bit about. We see this happen though, man. We, I, let's I keep agree, talking but... about Kentucky Bigs for a second. Like, <laughs> I've watched Nerlens Noel become a shell of the player he was by losing so much. I'm watching the same thing happen to Okafor last year. Boogie Cousins had it affecting him early on in his career and continue to this day. But they're, in a lot they're of not high losing like that. They 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 yeah, are but, showing moments like dude, I, come on. I, I think come on. Boogie leaves the building sometimes. He's just like, fuck it, I'm out of right, here. But I, I don't know that I think that energy is, is not great. That's a negative. Yeah. I, I'm not saying Towns is Boogie. I know. Well, of course not. I, I'm not saying any of this is weird or abnormal. All I'm saying is that there are, I do think that some of the internal expectations are warped in a way that if they just like kind of settled down and didn't think about, we've got to end our playoff drought and we've got to go super intense all the time, it might make for a more relaxed and they'll play without, not so tight in tight moments and like, th- it, it isn't this is not a problem that they're this record in my opinion the problem is that they may think it's a problem does that make sense i i think that uh another thing that might contribute a little bit i might be looking into a little bit too much but 
Kevin Garnett also left over the summer. And when you look at their roster, he was the most veteran, accomplished guy. You know, I don't think they have enough of that veteran presence. You know, you got a bunch of young guys with Tibbs and you put them together. Of course, they're going to get frustrated. And then on top of that, you don't have those proven veterans to kind of put his arm around you. Like, hey, it happens. You know, keep your head up. It's all right. You know, I think they... Some I think some of us really underestimated what Kevin Garnett, just on the bench, not even in terms of his production, but just what having a guy like KG on the bench does for the entire team. And they didn't replace that veteran presence, you know? It's not like they went out and got Jared Dudley. You know, it's not like they went out and, and got someone who's who's been in the league for a while and who's been through the ups and downs. You know, I think that's next step, you know, with, along with addressing that point guard position, they need to trickle in, they need to fold in some, some veteran guys who can kind of take these young guys under their wings. I think it's a good point. They didn't really do any. They don't have any of the. I mean, even Garnett, he didn't really play. I think they need that guy that plays is like your sixth or seventh man. He's a key player in the team uh, that can speak to the voice. I guess they hope that Ricky Rubio would be that, and I'm not sure what's going on there. Nah. If he's just, you know, he, he speaks all this positive energy, but he, I think he's had too much bat, too much stuff go wrong, and he's having a poor year. Uh, and there's all the trade rumors. I'm sure that's affected him and just drafting done. And so, yeah, no, I think it's a good point. They don't have – it's like it, they don't have that guy. You're right. They don't have that rotation player that can speak with authority. I mean, they have some, like, vets at the end of the bench. And even Garnett. Yeah, they've got the Jordan Hill. They got, they got Jordan Hill. Who else do they have? Is Tayshaun Prince still there? No, John Lucas is there. Not not Prince is – I do not believe he's there. They – but yeah, I think that's a good. That's an interesting point. They they could really use that Jared Dudley type, and they don't have it. Yeah, and you can see it with what Utah did. Utah went out and got uh, they got Joe Johnson and Boris Dia. I thought those were two really good, really good pickups, just because you know they're guys who could not only play but guys who have played for a while and yeah. they've won. You know, ideal I think veteran role players. Yeah, those are those are ideal veteran guys to have on your team, especially with the young core that Utah has. And I think that uh, the T Wolves' next step is to do something similar. I don't know who they get, but they need to. Maybe it's a veteran point guard. You know, maybe it's someone who's been around. Who's I don't know who's a free agent next year, but I think next next level is getting that those uh, veteran rotation guys for sure. And George Hill as well for Utah. I, I think it's like a 3-4 swingman type. I want, it's too bad Luol Deng's contract is astronomical because I think he'd be really good for that team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, true. Mm-hmm. But, but they're but not yeah. that far out. Like they're one couple like a month stretch of good basketball away from being right there. I mean the 10-10 and 10 is what the 8th seed is currently in the West. Just like 9-9 nine and nine is currently the 8th seed. Uh, in the East, so I mean they're sitting five and thirteen, three games out in the loss column. Like they're fine. It, we could, I think if I they, think if they miss the playoffs this year, it's fine. Yeah, I agree. 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 Total exactly. overreaction. The problem is that the players think it's an over. The, the, the organization yes. is overreacting. I think in this yes. case. Well, maybe they they keep overreacting themselves into into making a rational decision this season. That would be worst case scenario. Yeah. Yeah, that would be awful. And that's Tibbs. That's the thing, right? Like, if Tibbs doesn't like what he's dealing with and wants to make the step, he can make that decision. Yeah, yeah. well, that, that's what happens. Yeah, that would be, your, imagine your, he just flips out and trades Zach Levine for Joakim Noah. <laughs> <laughs> no, my God, yeah, imagine, I would love that. Imagine. I would love that. I know that's the context of that, up, but... That's really good. Uh, that's like improv when you, uh, when you tie the two <laughs> topics together minutes apart. I like that. All right. Um, <laughs> the next, the, the next Timberwolves podcast. Um, uh, no, that's that's true. No, I mean that's and that's worst case. Pray to, I know you're you're always a. Uh, I mean, I, I'm someone who's always against in all sports the the uh, coach and general manager being the same person. Um, but 
I, I think in the NBA, there's a unique track record now of that just kind of being the go-to move to get the talent you want to be your coach. It's kind of the way it seems to be going. So Yeah, well, um, it's dangerous. I mean, we'll have to see. I think this is a real test for them. You know, can Tibbs live with being a 33-win team that makes strides or is yeah. that not enough for him? And that, that's a really – it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but, yeah, speaking of interesting, one we should end real quick on – the team that played the Knicks before the Tim Rolls, and that's Oklahoma City, and Russell Westbrook. Adversity. Nine, yeah. nine triple doubles for Russell Westbrook this season. Do you know how many triple doubles the rest of the league has this year? I mean, Every I mean, single other player in the league. How many, Mike? Nine. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. It's it's kind of ridiculous what he's doing. I just hope he doesn't like run himself into the ground. That's I mean, the thing. It's, he's it's playing so like much. he has Tibbs yelling at him in his head at all times. That's exactly <laughs> Well, maybe not the best at icing the pick and roll. Maybe he needs a Tibbs is yelling something different. But uh, yeah, I so I said this before the year on our I I forget on our show. I'm curious if anybody agrees. Like I was saying that it doesn't really matter how good the Thunder are to like the general fan this year. Like we're really just tuning in to watch one player and watch one player pushing a little bit. I almost don't think on some level the Thunder really care how good they are this year. I mean, obviously they want to win, but like if they if they get the seven seed, but Russ averages a triple double, I think they're fine with that. All right. Yeah. So, so the question I have is: so, is that true for you as a viewer? Like, do you care? Does do the other players in the Thunder even matter as a viewer to you? For me, if you guys don't mind me speaking first on this, I I like seeing how Stephen Adams and Enes Cantor, you know, kind of you know come to Russell Westbrook. You know, they're like they're supporting him. You know, I don't know if you remember that that game against Philly where the fan flipped him off and he kind of <laughs> points at him. <laughs> But the first guys to come over there were was Stephen Adams and Inez Canner. He kind of like he kind of like tagged them in, and they kind of like came over to his aid. And um, I think it's it's really really it's really cool to see how these four other guys, these four this four man supporting cast, if you will, they're they're playing off of Russell. Well, I wouldn't say they're playing off of him, but he's taking them to a whole different level. You know, it's kind of like. It's almost like watching Kobe back when he had like nobody on his team. It's a great and, uh, comparison. He was he was still getting his. Only Russell now is getting his assists and he's getting rebounds. You know, he's it, it was one game. I think it was against the Knicks where he had that ridiculous offensive rebound, mm-hmm. and Spike Lee is just like he's just trying to figure out what he just watched, and it's just like the things Russell is doing. It's like it's it's kind of like must see TV. So to answer your question, yes, I am interested in seeing what Russell is doing. But, you know, I'm really curious to see how the rest of the team is responding to what Russell is doing as well, especially Steven Adams, because I'm really interested in him. And Victor Oladipo, where does he fall into this into this mix? Because he's a guy who I thought had a high ceiling. And now we kind of don't know where his career trajectory is going, if you will. So I thought he's played, yeah, I think he's played well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but, I think he's becoming the right type of sidekick, which is, which is that's good for me. Yeah, he's not. He knows that only one dude gets to handle the ball on that team. <laughs> it's not him. So, so Ben, you were saying before the show that you you had a triple double rant you wanted to unleash. Yeah, yeah, I like I like the stats still. I mean, I know that puts me uh, in defending like uh, simple base box score statistics, but like um, the same way, and I use this analogy, but like RBIs and home runs are are not as important as we as we now know because of uh, advanced statistics and analytics of baseball that show us there are other things that are more valuable than potentially those just raw numbers. But when you're at a historical usage rate and putting up those numbers, it means you're just affecting the outcome of the game single-handedly 
disproportionately to everybody else. And that triple double statistic matters. And to me, that's what Oscar Robertson did. And that's statistics, uh, this is, uh, the stats that came out of that were just the numbers by dominating a game in such a way that he did. His usage rate was probably crazy too. I don't know what it was. Well, they had but, they played at like 30 more possessions a game than, there you go. than you do now. Mm-hmm. But, uh, although, which, okay. Which, uh, which would change of course, it for sure. Of course, it's not like anyone else got a triple double. In that that's time. right. So that's right. I don't that's want to right. take away from what Oscar. No, did, and, just... and I hate. And that's another part. Side side comment on that is that anybody discrediting what Oscar Robertson did is just like the, stupid. Uh, comparing decades difference of basketball, uh, it, all we have are stats. So so uh, diminishing what that stat, which has been something that, by the way, as you mentioned, only nine other total in the rest of the NBA, despite how close LeBron James is to averaging a triple double. Right, and he's having a, a great year. Uh, in all those categories. And um, you have plenty of guys like James Harden who could dabble with a triple-double every night because the, uh, assists, which are the, by far the most difficult part of it, uh, are, are easy for him. Like He's having an incredible year. And it's amazing. And as much as it feels like Harden has the ball in his hands at all times, Westbrook is at a 41.7 usage rate. And Mike, you told me, again, before the pod, because we were a little fascinated by this, was the stat about how many historic usage rates are happening this season? I, th- I, th- I want to say it's like seven of the top 50 of all time are this year. When you That's talk crazy. about um, Embiid, Anthony Davis, uh, you talk about Harden, you talk about Russ, uh, you talk about uh, Isaiah Thomas, I think is in that mix. Yep. Um, Cousins, DeRozan, Wall. Oh, yeah, DeRozan. Yeah. I, I don't know exactly. It's something like that. Um, I'm looking at it right now. It's it's Westbrook at one, Harden two, then Cousins, Embiid, DeRozan, Wall, Isaiah Thomas, Anthony Davis, Lillard, and LeBron James is tenth. Um, that's that's this year. So yeah, so, this year, this year. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's still true, but it is interesting yeah. how many one man shows there are in the league this year. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I I think. There, there's a few layers to this triple double discussion. One is is that there it is true that like. Your your performance does not suddenly become notable once you get your tenth rebound. If like that's right. If he averaged, if he was, <laughs> if he scored had like thirty five, fifteen, and nine, is it really that different than when he had thirty five, fifteen, and ten? You know, like so there is an element of that involved. But I do think it's it speaks to a fairly remarkable set of circumstances happening, and it's not like like sometimes I think the RBI is batting average discussion i mean these baseball players aren't as enthralling just to watch on an individual level i think as someone like westbrook of course not of course you know it's just the nature of the sport so for that he's yeah he's meeting our expectations mike isn't that what it is right yeah going into the year we were like he could average a triple double and it's like he's averaging a triple double i still kind of feel (laughs) it still feels so cartoonish watching that team a little bit not not to say that not to say that i think they're fine with that like not i don't know if this is this is he literally does everything. He he every play <laughs> yeah, is does. him doing do is him running. Like they don't Did you just watch him last night, Mike? Uh yeah, I'm a little the Wizards. Dis- hey, he wasn't that you good went- last night, actually. Uh let's not talk so, about So so was night. last night a bad triple double, would you say? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't think he played that well. He he was what he shooting four seventeen. He shot poorly. Wall played good D. Yeah. Um but just watching them play, he literally does it's not how any other basketball team should play, I don't think. And that's okay. Like as long as we, like it's fine. Like it's actually kind of fun to watch. Like that's sort of where I come back to the original point, which is like, yeah, okay. There's some other interesting players on that team, but it's like we all know what we're really watching here. And but I have this good imagery <laughs> yeah. now too in my head of like three marauding guys and like you know pirates maybe even. So that was my cat probably going after my dog and my wife yelling at him. If you guys heard that, <laughs> um, common occurrence here. It's like a cartoon basically. 
Um, anyhow, I, I, I keep a. Uh, um, hey, Mike, I forgot what I was saying. You lost your train of thought. I oh, did wow. when I. Just, that never happened. It's all good. I know it happens. It happens well, a lot. Well, oh, the image I had in my head. Yes, thank you. I found it. I had to look down at my pen here for some reason. But anyhow, the image is, is this marauding like pirates of some bad, you know, the worst kind of guys. And they show up and it's like Westbrook in the middle and his two goons behind him in like the olden days. And there they are. It's Cantor and, and, uh, and Adams. And they literally, I mean, Adams is a pirate already. Um, so that already kind of folds into this. But I just see this like those three as kind of the enforcers. It's like a hockey line, the way they used to have to have the skilled, the most important player be protected by these these guys and, and similar to the early 90s or, or late 80s uh, Pistons. It's like a yeah, tour, it's no, like it's, a it's like the Tour de France teams where there's really one guy <laughs> they're all trying to help win. Just drafting off everyone else. <laughs> Right. Isn't that like how isn't that how cycling works? There's like yeah, yeah, it is. there's like the one yeah. dude that and he has teammates that like screen him. That's like uh, the image I get. I mean, is it is it similar, though, kind of to to what the Pistons had? I mean, I know that was a team that was very interesting insofar as they didn't have anybody score over 20 points a game. They only I believe the only team in NBA history to win the NBA finals without having anybody score over 20 I points think the a game. Spurs Spurs, Spurs were this right. next to do it. I okay. thought the Spurs did it. And I could be wrong about that. I mean, yeah. it's similar, but it's not that wasn't for one but guy exactly. necessarily. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But it is, yeah. it is sort of how they were built to facilitate Isaiah's skills. Though. It reminds me a little more yeah. of uh, a team near and dear to your heart. Uh, the mm-hmm. AI and 76ers. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. The difference is that, you know, AI was a much different tour de force, if you will, on the court, but it, it started first and foremost with his scoring ability. And what Westbrook's yeah. doing, rebounding is almost the most impressive part. I mean, he, Mike, he had a few rebounds last night, and I only watched the, the fourth and overtime that I that I got to see of, of the Wizards Oklahoma City game, but you know, he, he pushes power forwards around sometimes. He's so feisty. He's so hyper-aggressive. Um, and I mean, what he's doing rebounding wise, the numbers for someone who is what six three, um, that feels more unprecedented than anything. Do you, do you guys think he's yeah, gonna do it? No, that's a, um, for me, I, I had a I had a hypothetical that I wanted to put out there, and, and my my if I had to guess, I'd say no, he falls short in uh maybe in in assists, you know, maybe he averaged nine point five, nine point eight, you know, I think he's gonna get his boards. I don't know if he's gonna have ten assists a night, um. That's where my I, I, I kind of like hypotheticals. So really quickly, if Russell Westbrook is averaging 30, 10, 10, if he's having 39 and nine and James Harden is averaging 28, 12 and seven and the Rockets are the fourth seed in the West and the Thunder are not in the playoffs. Can you vote Russell Westbrook for MVP? Oh man, that that is going to be th- this year's MVP race is going to be very interesting because not only do you have that, you also have LeBron and the Cavs, you have Kawhi, and you have all the Warriors players, and I'm yeah. sure I'm forgetting others. Uh, I, I do not right. know. I I don't think you. I wouldn't, but I would. It's hard to blame someone if like the MVP has never gone to someone who's won less than fifty games. Interesting. Never. Wow. How never. About that? Or sorry, sorry. One time it might have, maybe once it has. Maybe Moses Malone is like the only one I think. Okay, sheesh. But still, I mean that. Ne- otherwise, Moses. never. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. It's gonna be really interesting. I I don't know. I am going to go ahead and predict that he will do it. I think he will average the triple. You think so? I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be bold. I think he's gonna do it. Yeah, okay. I think so too. I hope so, and I hope that they they continue to make you know inroads here with these wins as well they had a little low where they lost a few games in a row and got around 500 again but um the biggest thing for me is i'd like to see them in the playoffs because what westbrook's doing in the regular season is is awesome he's unquestionably uh, um the most um 
I mean, not just with usage rate, but just as a fascinating thing to watch. He's high up there with anything in the league. What Harden's doing is awesome to watch, too. Watching Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, Brzingis, awesome individual athletes, individual efforts this year, like we talked about, Mike, uh, in terms of just the usage rate, uh, all those things, right? Uh, um, but but when it, it, it all boils down, um, when you watch Westbrook play, uh, what he's going to do in the playoffs is going to be even more ridiculous. So he's got to make the playoffs because that's another level of intensity and importance. And watching him try to bear the load for a seven game series, I mean, it could be a, it could be a boiling point. So that's what I, I hope. I hope he gets he gets voted an All Star starter because that's <laughs> old Kevin Durant, and yeah. that'll be fun. It's true. That'll be it's really true. fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question. <laughs> maybe they'll get the eight seed. Maybe maybe we'll get a All Star game starting together. Uh, that awkward <laughs> moment, and then uh, and then a first round playoff series. <laughs> Okay. That would be an awkward moment. That's the best case scenario. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Excellent. Well, we, cool. we have talked about a lot of cool stuff. Um, Christian, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you, um, who may not be familiar. You can find me right next to Mike Prada at uh, 40, <laughs> 40th. Uh, other than that, you can find me on uh, SB Nation NBA. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Blash with a K. Um, that's K-R-I-S-P-L-A-S-H-E-D. You can find me at Madison Square Garden every night. Well, not every night. You can find me at Madison Square Garden every, a couple of nights a month. Um, yeah, and if you just tweet about the Knicks, I'll probably see something you're saying, especially if it's out of bounds. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, there. Uh, it's been great to have you on. This has been a fun show. Look forward to more of your stuff. Uh, hope. Uh, I was a little concerned today when uh, you turned over a piece and like I said something and you like started you freaked out immediately as if I like there was a huge problem with it. I was I, I was a little yeah, worried said, about that. I forgot what you said. You kind of just was like what or something like that, and I was I looked over like what happened now. I, I think I was like giving you like one little tip and you're you were you acted like your dog like your dog died and I was like, am I really that scary? <laughs> no, um, no, you, it, it, just it is that scary. I know where I didn't. It was. <laughs> Mike's terrifying. Oh, it's a terrifying guy. That's why we never do these in person. I would never be able to talk so confidently if uh, we were sitting eye to eye. You guys should. You should do them in person and videotape it. <laughs> well, eventually, eventually, once we're in the new studio, big mm-hmm. plug for a shout out to the Vox Media new new office being built with our new uh, recording studio and all that good stuff in it. Um, that's in a couple months. That's late January, early February. That'll be happening. But uh, you know, it, that'll that'll happen. We'll have a simulcast. Everyone's gonna be able to watch Mike. Uh, Mike's gonna. You guys should check out the uh, feature. I should say something to watch that Mike just did. Mike, plug yourself real quick because you just did another one of your uh, prepared videos for uh, yeah for second second uh, pictures video doing a little more of those. This one is on James Harden and the rocket system and why it is essentially a. I wanted to use the term. PED for him, but we nixed that, so instead it's a cheat code for him. Um, yeah, no, that uh, that video was really cool, especially the little cheat code diagrams that you had with the X and the triangle. That was pretty cool. Yeah, well, we have a great graphics team that helped us out, um, and we're going to do a couple more of those. But uh, the, the Warriors won the preseason, and we just put out the Rockets one uh, with James Harden. Uh, so check that out on the site, on Facebook, uh, all over the place. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, everyone check that out. Mike does uh, puts a lot of work into these things, and, and what Harden's doing is fascinating, and there's no better way, I promise you, on the internet to understand it than to check out a Mike Prada. Was it motion pictures now? Is that what we're doing? I guess so. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. It's no longer just regular pictures. There's videos. Um, cool, but uh, again, we really thank uh, 
Christian Winfield for joining us. It's been great having him on. He's a wealth of knowledge, not just on the Knicks, all things NBA, as you probably have just been able to tell. And uh, and I'm glad that Prada and uh, and and uh, Christian had some different opinions on, on some of the things we talked about. Because then I can uh, do a terrible job of moderating, as you just saw. Yeah, you, you claim uh, to be like this great moderator, and then you took nobody's side. You are a persuasive our, arguer. You're you're a good lawyer, Mike. It's almost oh, like you're married right. to uh, a lawyer or something like that. Uh, yeah, Rob. I guess so. Anyway, exactly. uh, <laughs> don't forget to subscribe to the show on uh, on iTunes. Uh, also, you should also just subscribe to our other podcast with uh, Paul Flannery and uh, John Gonzalez, the Drive and Kick Podcast Reboot, also on iTunes now. Uh, they do record every Tuesday night uh, into Wednesday, so you should check that out as well. Subscribe to both of these podcasts uh, and uh, leave us a review. Tell us how we're doing. Uh, we hope to have more members of the SB Nation family and elsewhere on the show as we move into the rest of the year. So got to give that short little plug there. Yeah, I'll actually real really quick plug. Uh, required reading is Paul's Sunday shoot around on Kawhi Leonard. Man, that was good stuff. Yeah, that was yes. really good. If you're not already subscribed <clears throat> to Sunday shoot around, go do it even before you subscribe and download and, and and actually at the same time maybe two different tabs or something. Do that, but for us and and also <laughs> the Sunday shoot around, it's it's fantastic and it really is kind of the best way to to. Follow the NBA if you can't necessarily follow it every day and understand the ins and outs of, of what's going on. It's, it's tremendous. It's also a good aggregate source so you can see what else is going on on SB Nation uh, NBA. Uh, guys, this was a lot of fun. Hey, this Again, was great. Thanks great for having you. me on, guys. Well, yeah. let's, let's Th- thanks for coming on. We'll, uh, we'll have to do it another time later this year. Until next time, everyone. Be limited. Stay warm. Stay warm.